Hey, this is Evan Jackson, video production director of New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that today's message will not only challenge, but encourage and inspire you to see God's purpose for you. Enjoy the message. All right. New series. And I am stoked. Good news. If you didn't notice it from the decorations, that's our theme. Good news. Um, Somebody asked me this morning, don't you get the paper? I'm like, no. I actually don't get the paper anymore. How many people still get the newspaper? Does anybody get the newspaper anymore? Couple people? Wow. I I did not expect that level of uh, disinterest in the newspaper. (laughs) All right, guys, this is a newspaper. All right, this is what they look like. They're made out of paper. <gasps> paper is made out of trees. You know what paper is? You know what's so funny? We've, we've, we've moved away from um, even books being like physical. That uh, drives me crazy. I will literally read a digital book and then buy the paperback to put in my library. I, I can't handle it. I just can't handle it being like this nothing thing that I, I accomplished this goal of reading a book and there's nothing to show for it. Nothing to put on the shelf. Anyway, good news. The Savior is born. All right? Over the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at the books of the Bible that are referred to as good news books. they referred to as good news books. We know them as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels of the New Testament. Each one of these Gospels approaches the incarnation of Christ in a different way. Each one is unique and gives a view of the incarnation that when taken as a whole, give us the story of Christ's incarnation and the reason for his coming in a high-definition way. In John chapter 21, 25, it says this, And there are also many other things that Jesus did which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that were written. So some people are like, why are the Gospels so different? There's four of them, and there's, they have different stories. They have, he's like, listen, there's four Gospels. There could be like a million Gospels, and you wouldn't be able to tell the whole story. The four Gospels are an opportunity for us to get a well-rounded understanding of the incarnation, the work, and the purpose of Jesus Christ coming. So we're not doing big ideas in this series. We're doing headlines. The headline for today's, today's sermon is extraterrestrial living among us. Extraterrestrial living among us. And today we'll be looking at the incarnation from the perspective of the Gospel of John. So open your Bibles to John chapter 1. John is a unique gospel. It doesn't follow the same patterns of the other three gospels. It is often referred to as the spiritual gospel. The spiritual gospel. The synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are the synoptic gospels. Why do they call the synoptic gospels? They are very, they are very similar though they have variations, they are very similar. They have the same form and function, okay? 
So the synoptic gospels deal with his work and teaching on earth. They are more terrestrial in nature. They are more earthbound in nature. John's gospel is a supernatural book. It's extraterrestrial. Okay, it's extra, it's above the earth, it's more, it's bigger, it's spiritual. John deals with God's supernatural work in the world. The understanding that Jesus is the God of the universe, and only by believing in him can we have eternal life. It has a supernatural emphasis. So let me give you some differences between the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the Gospel of John. 90% of John's Gospel is not like, 90% is not like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's nothing about the birth of Christ. You're like, why are we even looking at this? We'll get there, relax. Or about his early life. Nothing about his baptism, his temptation, or his transfiguration, or even his travels. Nothing about his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Does not talk about his ascension. In John's gospel, there's no parables. Jesus' teachings focuses more on his own identity and his unique relationship with the Father. So it's vastly different. It comes from a completely different perspective. Okay? And what we're going to learn over the next few weeks is that each gospel is written to an audience for a specific reason. Okay? There's, there's a... I mean, have you ever read a biography? Raise your hand if you've ever read a biography. Okay, good. I love me a biography. Of, of, depends on the person. But I have probably read five or six biographies of Abraham Lincoln. I've probably read four biographies of George Washington. Why do I read these biographies? Because I think of those two people as very... Um, good leaders, and I want to learn how to be a good leader, okay? So I read a lot of books about uh, leaders, uh, biographies, or, but I've read, so I'm just giving you, an, I've given, uh, I've read five, probably five uh, biographies of Abraham Lincoln. Just talk about that for a second. How can there be five biographies of Abraham Lincoln? It's the same dude, same time period, same office, same, same, same. He only lived a very sh relatively short life, right? But there's five biographies that I have personally read, and I'm telling you, on the person of Abraham Lincoln, there is hundreds of books written about him. Each one of the biographies I've, I've read about Abraham Lincoln have similarities. There's certain key events that, that, that come up, right? Uh, his assassination, his, his uh, ascension to the presidency, all these types of things, they, they come up. But each one of them deals with different aspects of the man, Abraham Lincoln. Some of them are, uh, go, even go into some negatives about the man. What? He wasn't a saint? No, he was a man. So what I'm saying is that even, even a regular person, well, I don't know if it's, Okay to call Abraham Lincoln a regular person. Anyway, even a normal human being, terrestrial human being, if you write a book about him, you have a purpose. The author has a purpose. He has a set of resources. He's looking to convey a certain uh, message to the reader. 
this is the same thing with the Gospels. It's all true. It's all um, about the same person in that very short period of time, yet it comes from it from a different angle. And John comes from it from a spiritual, supernatural, extraterrestrial point of view. Okay? The purpose of John is to convince the sinner of the true person of Christ. John uses the word truth 25 times. It's the most used in one book of any other author. He uses the word truth 25 times. That seems like a lot of times. Wait for this. He uses the word love 80 times. And he uses the word believe 100 times. So, if we were to sum up the gospel of John, we could say, believe the truth of God's love. Believe the truth of God's love. John 20, 31 is this. This is the purpose of John as a gospel. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Boom. That's the reason. If we were going to give the Gospel of John a headline or a big idea, that would be it. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is who he said he is, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose. John wants you to have life in his name. So he wants to convey and convince you of the person of Jesus Christ. All right, so our main text today is um, John chapter 1, and we're going to read through 18. And then we're going to read it straight through without stopping. I, know I have a very hard time doing that, so I'm going to really focus because we're going to break it apart later, but I'm going to really try to not, not pause. Ready? Here we go. Chapter, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to stop. I'm not was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Verse 14. That word, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. He, uh, we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son 
from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Verse 16. And we have received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Lord, thank you for your word today. God, help us to glean all the truth that we need to hear today. God, there's so much truth in here. I would just ask that you would help us to, to capture a nugget of truth today, a little piece of gold mined from the word of God that we can take home with us, that can encourage us, that can convict us, that can draw us closer so that we might have life through your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Right here in the beginning, John is telling us who this book is about. He's not hiding it. He's just telling it. Now, I think John, um, see, John had a difficult time. He had to explain some very um, difficult concepts and images to us throughout his writings in the New Testament. John is the same writer of the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation, he sees things. And, God, and the angel tells him, write this down. And he's like, ah. Uh. And he's writing stuff down. You, when you read these things, it's like, there's going to be a locust with the head of a lion that stings. Like, he's seeing things that he's trying to put into character. He's seeing supernatural things that he's trying to characterize. And he's doing his very best. And again, here, John is tackling a very complex issue. And it goes into the, the Trinity, Trinitarian doctrine. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on Trinitarian doctrine today because it's a lot. But I want you to see that John is tackling an issue that is very complex, and I think he does it in a masterful way because... He's inspired by, it's not just a man writing this stuff. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this stuff down. Just like in Revelation, the angel said, write this down. The Holy Spirit is saying, John, you need to write this down. The good news is that the protagonist of his story is no mere man. Oh, yes, he is a man, but he's also something more. You may have heard, thinking about this, you may have heard tales about heroes who do great things. But in the end, they are also humans as we are. Case in point, my love for Abraham Lincoln. He's a hero to me, but he's just a man. He died. He's still dead. Or maybe you've heard about gods who have great power, but they are completely unreliable and incapable of identifying with human needs. This was prevalent in that society. A monotheistic uh, polygamy, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, lots of gods. Polytheistic, thank you, Darwin. 
you know, man. Polytheistic reality of the time. You've heard of all these gods, heroes, gods. Uh, you had the Roman gods, you had the Greek gods, you had the, the Egyptian gods, you had all these gods. But they were all fickle, unreliable, incapable of identifying with you as a human. You may have heard about how the gods care for your crops, your property, your progeny. If you'll just sacrifice properly to them, but you've never heard of the God who will lay down his splendor to sacrifice himself for us and provide for us in the here and now and also save us for all eternity. He's saying, you may have heard, but I got, a, I got, a, I got some good news. I got some really good news for you. And that's what the, gospel, the word gospel means. The word gospel means good news. And I think it's an understatement, honestly. It's like, it's like in the beginning of, of, of Genesis when God says, he made all these things and he saw that it was good. It's awesome. We got stars and moons and galaxies and we got earth and animals and people. Yeah, it's good. That's an understatement. This is the same kind of understatement. It's a grand understatement. All right? John is telling the good news of the deity of Jesus Christ. And to call it good news is absolutely an understatement. So let's dig into what John is emphasizing about the incarnation of Christ, the deity of Jesus Christ. I want to talk about that today, the deity of Jesus Christ. First thing I want to talk about today is the beginning. John starts his gospel out with in the beginning, right? In the beginning. So John 1, 1 through 3 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that had been created. Wow. John is dealing with some serious theological concepts, and he's, he's unpacking it for us. And because God is something other than us, it may be hard for our minds to wrap to wrap around it. But I think it's very well stated. John chooses to begin his story where the whole story begins at the beginning. Genesis 1, in the beginning. At the very beginning of the Bible, it says, in the beginning. Which is why I chose to, 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 to talk about the Gospel of John in our first week on the Gospels. In the beginning. God. That's what the beginning of, 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 of all Scripture is. In the beginning, God. What does that mean? It means this. When everything that we know started, God was already there. When everything that we experience, see, touch, smell, feel, for the last however many years humans have been walking this earth, God was already there. He was there before anything else. In the beginning... God. Okay, so John is hearkening back to that. In the beginning was the Word, okay? In order to, for Jesus to be God, he must exist as God. So what does that mean? These are some theological concepts. I want you to, to hang in there with me a little bit. Jesus has to be pre-existent. Existed outside of our created time and space. 
for Jesus to be God, he had to be pre-existent, existing outside our concept of time and space. Number two, he had to be coexistent. John 1b says this, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So he had to be pre-existent. He had to be coexistent. Not only is he eternal, but he is distinct from God. The agent of creation that God uses in the creation of the world is the Son, is God, is the word here. And he's equal with God. Now, the third thing he has to be, Jesus has to be in order to be, uh, to, to contain the deity of, of God is this, self-existent. Okay? John 1.3 says this, all things were created through him, and apart from him not, was, not anything was made that was made. What does that mean? It means he wasn't made. When's the last, part, when's the last time something made itself? Right? It doesn't happen. There has, to be a, there has to be a maker. So Jesus is self-existent. He's outside. He, he, he created everything so he couldn't have created himself. I know that's a really heady conversation to have, but this is what John is trying to convey. If he's apart from creation, then he is not non-created and exists outside of the created realm. He is eternal and outside of time and space. He is truly an extraterrestrial. He's outside. He's extra. Philippians 2, 6-7 says this, Jesus Christ, who existed in the form of God, did not count, consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Right? Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. So, Jesus is not a created being. He pre-exists. He, is, he, to give him, he calls himself multiple times in the gospel. He says, I am God. He uses the, the, the words, I am, many, many, many times, which is always, for a Jewish audience, always points back to the name of God that um, Moses asked for at the burning bush. Right? Who, who, who should I tell them is sending me? He said, I am that I am. And that word carries the connotation of sheer essence. I just am. That's what you could say it that way. I don't have a name. You can't categorize me. You can't put me in a box. I just am. And Jesus references that about himself many times in the gospel. He goes, I am. He said it so many times that they killed him for it. Some people say, no, Jesus never really said he was God. Then why did they kill him? The reason they killed him was because they knew that the words he was speaking was blasphemy. Now, you, you might, in a, in a 21st century Western culture, might say, well, he just said that I am. That's, that's not blasphemy. No, it doesn't mean anything to us. But to that culture, they knew exactly what he was talking about. They hated him for it, and they killed him for it. So this concept of the beginning is so important to the deity of Jesus Christ as the one who came, the one who was 
the begotten Son of God. Okay? So another, the other thing I want to uh, tackle here is we talked about the beginning. I want to tackle the Word. What does this mean? If God is, Jesus is God, then why is he references the Word? What is going on here? John 1 refers to the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does that mean? What does that mean? The Greek word for word is logos. It's this concept of logos. Traditional meaning uh, word, thought, principle, or speech. This word logos has been used among both philosophers and theologians. Now, in philosophy... The logos, or the word of God, is a non-personal entity of power. Non-personal entity of power. The force that was responsible in the creation of the universe. Think Star Wars. George Lucas took this, I'm not even joking, George Lucas took this philosophy of logos and put it throughout his whole mythology. The force is, it, it's in us, it's around us, it's moving, it's you know, all this stuff. George Lucas actually, you know, made a space opera around this concept of logos. Okay? So it's the creative entity. It's the will. It's the power. It's the, and they're not completely wrong. But it's not accurate because it, it's an impersonal thing. It has no um, agency. It just, psh, it's just a power. It's just a force. Now, in Jewish teaching... The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, equals the revelation of God. The word of the Lord is equivalent to the revelation of God. So when John uses this concept, in the beginning was the word. He's, he's, he's coming on the side of, of, of grappling with the concepts that people know about philosophy of the Logos and the Jewish concept of the revelation of God, and he's going, boom, that's the accurate way of thinking about it. In the person of Jesus, I am revealing God as the active agent of creation of every single thing. The, the revelation of who God is, the word, is the logos. And then he goes on and he, he just blows the philosophy out of the water by saying this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So get rid of that concept that it's an impersonal force because he says, you understand concept of logos? Well, let me, let me, en let me enhance. Let me enhance. You understand the concept of the word of God being the revelation of who God is? Let me enhance that a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to plus it, and I'm going to tell you who really is involved in this story that I'm about to unpack for you. That's John's talk. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says this. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. The, the prophets revealed the word of God through the prophets was a revelation of God. But he says in verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. He's, this Hebrew writer is identifying the logos, 
with this person of Jesus. He's identifying the revelation of God through the word of the prophets with this person. Before you got it through verbiage, you got it through the Old Testament, you got it through words and letters and and writings on a page. But in this time, it's through his very own essence, through his son who came and is the creator of all things and is God. Jesus is that person. The son, here we go, is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact, exact, exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful, what? Word. By his powerful logos. By his powerful essence. By his powerful creative force. By his sustaining whatever. Like, he is, this person is the logos. This person is the very essence of God. That's what John's trying to convey. The Old Testament is the written word. Jesus is the incarnate word. Matthew 1.22 says this. I don't think I have this one, Michael. Now all these took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through prophets. So, are we up there? Yeah, okay, good. Better than I thought. Anyway, now all these things took place. What is he talking about, all these things? All these things about Jesus. This story that I'm telling you, this good news that I'm conveying to you, all these things that took place was spoken through, uh, by the Lord through prophets. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name, what? We talked about Emmanuel a little bit already, didn't we? He's the same God. Which translated means God with us. God is with us. The logos, the revelation of God, the power of God, the person of God is represented and lives inside of the person of Jesus. The incarnation. And it's been passed down to us through the Holy Spirit. Now, I know there's a lot of Trinitarian talk, but I want you to understand the, the immensity of the story. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a cute little thing that, you know, the, the little animals in the barn. We have this tendency to take huge, epic, biblical stories and put them in children's nurseries. Sweet little animals, the star. Mary's perfectly fine, by the way. She just gave birth to a child, but she's like, hey. I go back to the story of Noah. That's the most common nursery decoration in church nurseries. Did you know that? The epic destruction of the entire world, the massacre of humankind and, and animal kind is what we're putting in our children's nurseries. The giraffe sticking their heads out of a little tub boat. Yay! It's true. Put that one in your nursery. <laughs> Change it to be more realistic. You'll see how many kids are coming back. They're like, ah! <laughs> this is big stuff, guys. 
we've marketed it, we've packaged it, we've put a bow on it. But it's big stuff. It's epic. And it's exciting. I think one of the reasons why Christmas sometimes feels a little flat is because our hearts are, are, are aching for more than the cute little baby and the three wise men and the shepherds, you know, just singing, Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Right? We want something. This, John says, listen, this is big. This is earth creating. This is universe forming. This is star breathing. This is the God that made it all in human flesh. He comes. He's not like the other gods you talked about. He's not like the heroes you heard about. He's bigger. He's better. He's awesome. He is the one who came so that you might have life in his name. That's what we want. We got enough fairy tales. We got enough Disney. We want truth. And what is one of the major words he uses? Truth. All right, last word we're going to talk about today is the light. The beginning, the word, and the light. John 1, 4 through 5 says this, in him, okay, so we'll just read context, in him, the word, the creator of all things, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Now, this has so many implications. We're going to just have to grab a couple. We could talk about how, you know, in the beginning of Genesis, it says, God said, let there be light. And there, and there just was. There was just light. No source other than the creator who spoke it through the word. So maybe we could say Jesus was the light that illuminated all of creation. Okay? Or it could be the light of life could be that breath that he spoke into that, that pile of dirt, dust that he formed. And he breathed into them the light of life. And they became people. They became humans. They became an entity that carried, excuse me, that carried the very image of God. The light, the darkness could not overcome it. When Jesus speaks, when God uses the logos of his son, Jesus Christ, darkness has nowhere to go but back. Now, I want, to use, I want to touch on this word, overcome. Michael, could you keep that, that verse up on the wall for a little? Thank you. That last word, over, uh, the last second last word, overcome it. Okay? That's an important word. And if you, depending on the translation that you have in your reading today, it's going to look a little different because it has multiple meanings to it. Okay? The word overcome is the Greek word katalambano. Katalambano, it's a lot easier to say overcome. But it, has, it carries this meaning, overcome, overpower, overpower, overtake, grasp, or comprehend. So in the context of this verse, it says this, and the darkness could not overpower it. In him was the light of life. 
That light shines into the darkness, and the darkness could not overpower it. That darkness could not overtake it. It could not grasp it, and it could not comprehend it. The light of incarnation, uh, the incarnate Christ, breaks through and meets us in our darkness. The God of the universe enters into the darkness of our sin-rattled existence and overpowers the darkness that surrounds us and emanates from us. You can't, when it comes to sin, you can't claim victimhood. When it comes to sin, you cannot claim victimhood because it's around us, yes, and it, it comes, but it's coming, it's coming from us too. We give as good as we get when it comes to sin. But God, the universe enters, the God of the universe enters into the darkness of us and the world around us. John 1, 14, we're going to go down a little farther. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace. And the, if you look at the Greek on that grace upon grace things, it's, it's a progressive tense, which means this. We've all received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace in to infinite smarter people than me in here right it's that progressive and it's beautiful if 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 everything was written about this jesus there wouldn't be enough space in the earth to, to carry all the books it's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace Indeed, we have received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, who himself, is himself God, and is at the, right, uh, the right, at the Father's right hand, or side, he has revealed The darkness can't get hold of this concept. That's why I think that the earlier translations, if you have your King James with you today, some of the earlier translations translate the word katalambano as comprehend. I think in this way it really hits, on, hits it on the head. The darkness couldn't even comprehend this. Think about it for a second. In his pride and arrogance... I can't imagine the king of darkness, the father of lies, the accuser of the saints, comprehending a suffering savior, a Messiah in a manger, a God of the universe putting on humanity in order to sacrifice for his creation. The devil's like, what? I never saw that coming. Couldn't even comprehend the humility of Christ. He's the father of lies, the author of pride. And he can't comprehend what Christ did in his incarnation. It must have confounded him and infuriated him that God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only begotten son. The creator, the logos, the image of God. He gave his only son, the eternal, coexistent, co-equal logos, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not succumb to the darkness, should not be condemned because of the sin of this world. Whoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. The enemy never saw a rescue mission coming from the God of the universe. And this is where I want you to leave you on this. Folks, the world is dark. It just is. There's darkness out there. There's light too. I'm not, I'm not one of those like people who, you know, everything's bad and the only thing that's good is inside these walls. I'm not that guy. But I know that the systems of this world, the philosophies of this world, the market of this world, is, it can be very dark at times because the ruler, of the, the prince of the power of the air is on the move. He doesn't want you to grasp this goodness. He doesn't want you to hear the good news. But the darkness could not comprehend the light of Christmas. Can't understand it. Has no game plan for it. Christmas incarnation of Christ is the only answer to the darkness of this world and the reason John writes his gospel is so that you might believe this God this Jesus you got Matthew Mark Luke and John that talk about Jesus John saying I want to give you a little bit more about who they're talking about this is the Jesus the logos I'm telling you the darkness can't even comprehend the light of Christmas. God, I thank you for this time. We could just dig in to some, some heady concepts. Lord, I pray that your light would shine through the fog of our, un, of our minds sometimes and really give us a, a clarity of who this Christmas is about what the our incarnation means. God, I pray right now that you would help my brothers and my sisters to understand that you are Emmanuel, God with us. We don't walk alone. The God of the universe, the creative force, the logos of creation condescended to squeeze himself into the form of of a human baby into an embryo it was born of a virgin. And Lord, that is something the darkness just cannot comprehend. So Lord, I pray that we would grasp this Christmas, we would grasp the purpose for John's gospel, that we might believe in this God not the cartoon version of the baby in the manger, but the God of the universe 
coming because you so loved the world that you would give your only son so that in believing, you may have life in your name. Real life, good life, light of, the life of light, truth, hope. God, help us to see it this Christmas. Lord, help us to see it in each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless. Merry Christmas. Have a great week. Come back next week. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. To find out more about New Life Church or to plan a visit, go to our website at discovernewlife.org.